this morning and uh, excited to be here. We are starting a, a new series today and, uh, and it's called The Roar That Changes the World. And we're going to be unpacking a bit of what that looks like and, and what that's all about this morning. But I thought before we get to this morning, and I know I think you've probably uh, heard a bit about it already, but I have a, a picture I thought we should look at just to take our minds uh, back to before this morning. Let's just cast them a little bit back to last night. And, uh, you know, just come on. You know, now that, that's not actually a, a, a picture of last night. Uh, but it, it's just a chance to stop. You know, last night, obviously, the, the, the excitement, the, the good news, the, the Eagles, you know, one game from the grand final now. I was watching the game. You can hear it in my voice that uh, there's nothing left. Uh, to be honest, I was unwell this week. I didn't actually get to see the game. But it was an amazing game, hardball game. The Eagles get through. And, uh, you know, it, it's a night that even now, just to, to you know, put that picture up, uh, you hear that kind of spontaneous, you know, sort of joy and excitement, don't you? You know, the, uh, I want you to imagine for a moment, you know, uh, how many people have been into the Optus Stadium? Maybe for a tour, maybe for a game. If you've been in there, I want you to imagine if you've never been there, maybe you've been in a different stadium. Uh, what it's like when you're in a stadium like this. And imagine this, here come the, the players running out onto the field. There's 50,000 plus people gathered all around. And everybody there passionate. You imagine what that place would have sounded like last night. Everybody yelling and screaming, you know, joy and excitement and passion and yelling, you know, just kind of mostly encouraging words, I'm sure. And um, everybody's screaming so loud, but when you're in a group in a stadium and a crowd that big and everybody's yelling, it's kind of like everybody's voices start to dissolve into one and you don't hear anything anymore except for the roar of the crowd, right? You hear this roar that just takes over. The biggest stadium I was ever in was a a college, University American football game. It was a, uh, a stadium that seated over 100,000 people. And when you heard the sound of the cheers that would go across that stadium, it wasn't even one of my teams, but just the experience of hearing the roar of a crowd like that. There's just nothing like it. Do you know there was even uh, some of the coaches uh, from Victoria had been claim, complaining about, I don't know if you've heard about this, that they felt that the crowd noise, uh, you know, in Optus Stadium is actually an unfair advantage. What do we think of that? Uh, exactly. Come on. You whiners. And they were saying, because it's so uh, loud that they were saying it's, it's affecting the umpire's calls. And you can tell if you look at the stats and, and the amount of, exactly, right? It's uh, the wine that changes the world. Anyway, the, um, but you know that roar, that sound, when it's just so loud, it's like it just takes over everything. And. What we're going to think about this morning and what this series is about is really a, a look at what, what worship is all about. We're going to be thinking over the next few weeks about, you know, we, we gather every Sunday throughout all of kind of the history of followers of Christ. Followers of Christ gather once a week to worship. It's a tradition that goes all the way back into the, the Older Covenant and the Old Testament. All these things. We, we gather to worship. And I want us just to look at it with fresh eyes over the next few weeks. I want us just to take kind of a fresh look at what we're doing when we gather like we are here on this Sunday. You may have been uh, gathering as part of a church for most of your life. I, my hope and my prayer and what I think God wants to do and say in our midst is to, to just lift our eyes a little bit and give us a little bit of a fresh vision of what this is all about. You might be someone who doesn't normally kind of 
come to a gathering like this. Uh, my hope is that you will actually see the power and the potential of what happens when we gather for worship. We're going to think about what worship actually looks like. And what I want to suggest to you, and what we're going to see as we begin to look to the scriptures, is that it is meant to actually be something like a, a holy roar that takes place. You know, the title for this series is The Roar That Changes the World. It comes from, I got the, this title from a, a book that just came out. Uh, it's called Holy Roar. And it's written by a, a pastor. He's actually a, an Aussie. He's over in the States. His name's Darren Whitehead. Uh, and co-written by a, a guy who wrote that last song that we sung, uh, How Great Is Our God, a guy named Chris Tomlin, a worship leader and songwriter. And they co-wrote this book, and it's called Holy Roar. And what they did is they looked at seven words for worship, for praise, in the Hebrew language. And to try and help us get a little bit more in our minds, what does the Bible have in mind when it pictures what it means to praise God? See, English is a very kind of ambiguous language. The Hebrew language, where our faith comes out of this tradition, the Hebrew language is very concrete. So what comes across in English in our Bibles as the word praise, in Hebrew is actually seven different words. And every one of them has different kind of snapshots, different insight, different angle on what praise is actually all about. And so uh, my hope is that as we kind of dive into some of these words over this next three weeks, that it will give us a fresh vision for what, what we gather here to do. Do you know, I think one of the worst phrases that can be in our vocabulary is the whole idea of going to church. Uh, people will sometimes say, where do you go to church? Uh, or, you know, do you go to church? Or things like this. So whether it's a person of faith or a person who, you know, couldn't care less. The phrase itself is completely, if you're a person of faith and part of a church, the, the reason I think it's... Um, kind of a, a, a bad phrase to have in your vocabulary is because it starts to, you know, we're going to talk about lifting our vision. It paints a vision that is very small and inaccurate to what the Bible imagines. We don't kind of go to church like it's another thing we do. Like, yeah, I just kind of go to the gym and then I leave and I'm, I'm fitter. That's not actually the picture. The Bible says we, we are the church when we come to Christ. We become part of his community of believers. And then the church gathers once a week. And we gather to worship him together. And that picture of why this matters so much, this is the part I, I want you to grab hold of, is that actually I believe that worship has the potential to change the world. And you might go, Dean, that's, you know, reaching too far. Like, come on, seriously? I mean, because let's face it, no, going to church doesn't feel like it's about to change the world, does it? And if that's all faith becomes, going to church is never going to change anything. But worship, and when God's people gather for worship as a church, and when it looks like the kind of worship that God imagines and envisions in the scriptures, I want to suggest to you, that has the power to change the world. And if you are uncertain of that, I just hope you'll hang with me as we unpack what these words look like. As we unpack what this is meant to be all about. And I hope you'll see why I actually believe it can change the world. Because this is what we see. That the, the gathering in worship, the lifting of our voices, it is meant to be something of a roar that takes place. In fact, we're going to start. And we're going to be looking 
throughout this series at, at the book of Psalms. And if you have a, um, or ever seen, you know, something like this, this is, this is a Bible and paper version. So most of us, anybody have a paper one or seen one of these? You know, some of you, kids have a look. You can touch it afterward if you want to. And um, that's fine. Take your picture with it. And um, they used to come in print form before they became digital. And, um, but so you don't see it always as much if you're looking at an app. But, you know, if you look at this book, one of the things that is not insignificant to realize is that in the whole of this book, right in the very center of it is a song book called Psalms. It's one of the biggest single chunks of the whole thing are these songs of worship. And so we're going to be diving into a number of those to get a, a picture and a vision for what it looks like. Psalm 117 is one of the shortest psalms that there is. It's only two verses long. It says this. It says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol, or some versions put praise there as well. Extol, shabak him, all you people. For great is his love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now this is going to be our first word for praise. Shabbat. Let me hear you say Shabbat. That will make it a little bit more guttural because it's kind of Hebrew. Shabbat. Yeah, you got to be careful this time of year as well. A lot of unwell people. And um, so Shabbat is one of the, this word appears, I think it's about 11 times Hebrew gets translated often praise. This is a word that literally means to shout. This is a word that means to address in a loud tone, to commend glory and triumph. Did you notice when I put up a picture of the West Coast Eagles, I did not have to prompt anyone. I put up a photo and you heard shouts of glory and triumph. I was so glad they won last night. I was like, otherwise I need a whole new start to the message on Sunday. So I was very grateful. I've been praying and don't want to claim credit, but anyway, I'm just kidding. You know, one of the, the words for praise, you know, we kind of come, now just, just pause for a moment and, and realize what a, words like praise, if you're a, a, a person who's been to church, or maybe you just hear these in culture, and we throw them around, oh, praise the Lord, and things like this, or praise God, and we get, we are in great danger of becoming so familiar with words like praise, we no longer, they don't mean anything to us. Like every word you hear so much, it just doesn't mean anything anymore. And so we come to church, do you understand something? The command in Psalm 117 is shout. You know, commend, glory, triumph. You know, talk about a far cry from where you're going to church. No, I'm gathering as the church and we are going to shout to the king. We are going to lift our voices in a loud tone. Can I tell you something? When we have songs... You know, we don't come and like, oh, so let's, let's just kind of work our way through. We better do some songs because that's important. No, this is what worship, it has always been the joining and unifying of voices that together commend glory and triumph. That lift, you could say it, a holy roar to God. If something happens in that. If you come and you just sort of think, okay, you know, I hope the singing gets done. Because my favorite part is really that Dean guy, <laughs> you know, he's pretty... Anyway, like, um, so if you say that, and I know a lot of you do, I'm just kidding, I'm joking, I'm not commending, anyway, um, but if you ever come, and you sort of think, yeah, I know, well, you got to sing, I mean, it's going to church, I guess we get, no, 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 we aren't just here to, to sing, we are here to shout, to raise a holy roar to God, if something happens in that, and this is how the world, you know what I love about this, well, can I say this for 
any of you who are like me, you know, we're, we're singing songs. Now, I've been told this. I don't always understand it. But when someone sings, apparently there's something called like a pitch or a note. And, and then there are other people that hear this pitch or note. It, I don't know why it's called a pitch. It must be some kind of a large oval field. But anyway, it's, um, they hear it, and then they match their voice to it. And I've heard of this. Uh, some of you may feel like me. Uh, you could leave me alone, you know, in a room with a note all day long saying, Dean, try to find that note. And I, I won't. You know, I will. I will be in that room for the rest of my life trying to find that note. I cannot. I can't sing. Like, I, you know, I literally, it's just terrible. I'm always like, Lord, why do you let other people, I, I spend most of my life in church, singing, you know, gathering to sing, but I can't sing. But you know what, I realized at a certain point, that does not matter. There's one thing I can do, I can shout. And I literally, I can't. Like, they'll be having a note that, like, started here, and it's, like, going this long, you know. Like, have you ever heard some of the people up here do that? And maybe you're like me, you're like, no, I can't. Like, I can shout something real quick. Guess what? Then you are qualified for worship. If you can do that, if you can shout. In fact, it's meant to sound a whole lot more like a roar. Do you know I met a guy uh, while I was on holidays. He was talking to me for about five minutes. We met. It turned out he had been, a, he was retired. He had been a missionary most of his life in uh, South America. And we were talking for a few minutes. And he said, man, you've got quite a voice. I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, I mean, it's really loud. And, um, and people who know me will be aware of this. And he's like, do you know what I think you should do? He's like, I bet. He's like, I bet you don't even need a microphone, you know, when you preach and things like that. And I was like, you know, it's funny you say that. I preached at this kind of church uh, while we were on holiday. And I said, I preached last week and the microphone was driving me crazy. So I just put it away. And it was like in a gymnasium. And I was like, we good? And we were good, you know, because I can shout. And he said, do you know what I think you should do is you need to make sure before, you know, you kind of finish, you should preach to 5,000 people without a microphone somewhere. And because I think your voice is cut out for that. So I say all that to say, I may not be able to sing, but I'm loud. <laughs> and some of you are like me. You can't sing, but you can be loud. You can shout. The, the songs, the worship, the praise, it's not about being on tune, being on pitch. It's meant to be a roar. Do you get this picture, please do today, that it is meant to sound a bit like a stadium of people where it's like the roar of that crowd drowns out any single voice. That's what the Bible pictures. That's the roar. That can change the world. Come and sing it nicely. Don't change anything. But the roar of God's people in praise, commending glory and triumph can. And here's why. We're going to look at a, two more words today. Psalm 145. Can you handle three words today? Three Hebrew words? I looked at you. I said, this is some smart, sharp people. I thought, I thought you could. Psalm 145 starts like this. It says, it's a psalm of praise. And here's our Hebrew word, Tehillia of David. Let me hear you say Tehillia. Now, Tehillia is a different kind of praise. It is a spontaneous song. It is a song. It's a new song. It's a, it is directly, you know, whereas Shabbat is this shout, Tehillia, it is. And actually, it's a song. And it's just, it often emerges out of an experience, and, and it's just this idea of like a new song God's put into your heart. You know, in the book Holy Roar, Chris Tomlin writes of kind of a modern day 
uh, Tahili, and he tells the story of the song Good, Good Father. Are you familiar with the song Good, Good Father? If you come here, we sing it uh, frequently. It's a great song. It speaks about how God, our Heavenly Father, He's a good, good Father. That's who He is. And we sing to Him, that's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. And he tells the story of how this song uh, came about. Chris first heard it, his wife had heard it at a women's retreat and someone else had sung it and they, she played it for Chris and he was so blown away by this song. He was like, I've got to find out the story of this song. And he looked up, who wrote this song? And he found it was a, a couple guys, he knew one of them, he was a pastor in a house church movement in Atlanta. And he calls him and he's just like, I just got to tell you, like this song, I'm teaching it to my kids, we're singing it around the house. It is just doing something for our faith and for our hearts. And then eventually he told them, hey, I really think it could touch a lot of people's hearts. I'd like to record it. Could I do that? And they said, you know, that would be great. We'd love you to do that. Let us tell you the story so you know the exact nature of this song. See, the way this song actually came about was this guy as a pastor of a house church, had about 50 people in it. One of their commitments as a church was we always believe and declare that God is good no matter our circumstances. He said, that's one of the things we want to passionately hold on to. No matter our circumstances, we know that God is still good. And one of the things that was happening in their church, in this community, 50 people, was there was a young lady who was going through cancer. And you can imagine the trials and the tribulations as a young woman and now she's facing cancer. And they said one night they were all gathering around to pray for her. And they're praying for her and praying for her and they're all trying to hold on to that belief. And if you've ever, you know, had faith in God and gone through a challenging time, you know what a difficult thing it can be at times to hold on to both those things. And they're praying for her and as they're praying, this pastor starts to feel this chorus just coming to him. You know, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. And he starts to feel like, actually, I think God's given me this song. And, I, and he started to feel like, I think I should sing it to her. But he felt like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want her to feel like, I mean, look at all she's going through. You know, what, that, that feels like a, what if it's a painful message for her to hear? I don't know. But he felt very much God called him and he just began to sing it quietly to her. You know, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. That's who I am. And she started to actually just join with him and tears are beginning to stroll down her face. And God's just at work in her life. And they're just singing this chorus. And then the whole congregation is beginning to sing it. And he said, and we ended up just singing that song for about an hour there together. It was just this spontaneous song that God gave us. Do you know that's the power of praising God in song? That when you're facing this kind of truth that seems so hard to hold on to on one side. Somehow as you begin to praise him and to declare truth and to begin to sing and shout those things, it just kind of changes the whole nature of the experience. You know, this is Psalm 145. It's a Tehili. It's this spontaneous song. It's of David. And, and he writes this hymn in Psalm 145. He says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise. And this is our third word, Barak. Let me hear you say Barak. I will praise you, your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you. I will barak you. And I will extol your name forever and ever. Barak is the third word we're going to look at today. And to barak, it comes from the Hebrew word for to bow before. You know, you think for a moment 
of this whole the kind of idea of shouting. And then Barak comes along and it paints this picture of kneeling before, of blessing God as an act of adoration, to praise, to salute, to thank. You know, the picture of Barak is always the picture of coming before the king, bowing before him. Shabbat is where we yell and we shout. Shabbat is. And Barak, though, is where we kind of put everything else to the side. We put our, our egos, we put our thoughts about ourselves, we put the idea of, hey, maybe I should, you know, just come, you know, but we, there is something that our eyes lift to him, and it just results in this. We bow before him. We barack him. That is what praise and worship is meant to carry at times, this element of bowing. And, and you could sort of, Hebrew scholars tell us about this word that it is to actually not even just bow, but to bow with your eyes fixed on the king. To come into the king's presence and to bow, but your eyes never come off him. Do you know this is what praise is meant to look like. You know, we, we throw these words around, just praise Lord. No, we barack the Lord. We fix our eyes on him. We bow in his presence. We adore him. We say thank you to him. That's what he calls us to do. Can I tell you something? Our, our worship should incorporate this. Many of you might know there's a Psalm 103 uses over and over this phrase, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. Or some versions, praise the Lord, O my soul. It's Barak. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Like inside me, put your eyes, fix them on God and praise him for who he is. Do you know, I think one of the greatest challenges we have to actually, to Barak, our God, come into a space like this and gather as the people of God, to gather as a church for worship. One of the greatest challenges we have to bowing before him is, you know, it, it talks about our eyes being fixed on the king. And one of the challenges is actually just to get our eyes fixed on the king. I think one of the reasons we may not barack, one of the reasons we may struggle to even want to shout is just because our eyes are on so many other things. When our eyes are on our circumstances or our eyes are on you know, just all the other things we're thinking about and what we got to do when our eyes are, are kind of, you know, we're like the most distracted people in all of history. There's study after study on what phones do to rewire our brains and all these things. We struggle to get our eyes on anything. And then sometimes on a Sunday, you come in and you're like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to go worship God. I'm going to gather and do that. But then you're coming in and, you know, maybe got out of the house a little bit late. You know, maybe it was a little bit tense, and then you pull in the parking lot, and some jerk just pulls right in front of you. You're like, thanks, Pastor Ryan, you know, just <laughs> thoughtlessly. He would never do that. But, you know, you kind of come in, and you got all this stuff going, and be honest, by the time you get in here, you're just like, <laughs> And now you want to praise, like, you know, here's. If you find yourself, and this is what I'm talking about, I think God, there's something he wants to do in our church. If you're a follower of Christ, I think there's something he wants to do. He, he doesn't want to leave our praise and worship at the level it is today. He always invites us deeper. He invites us onward. And I think one of the things he would want to say to us is, I want you to get your eyes on me. Do you know when it's hard to, to barack, to praise God? When your mind is so filled with, you know, maybe the, the frustrations from your week. Maybe it's full of, actually you come in and you're thinking about all the things you really wish you'd done different during the week. 
You're thinking about like, man, I really let God down on that. Look what I've done wrong. Do you know one of the greatest things that can help you actually is to actually, you know, come before you come into his presence. This is why confession has always been such a big part of worship. Where you stop and pause and say, Lord, and the word confess means to say with God. It's where you come before God and say, Lord, do you know what, the way I treated, you know, my family, that person, what I did here, what I did there, that little bit of compromise, Lord, I confess that was wrong and I'm sorry. And the Bible is so clear, it says, you know, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, he forgives us, he cleanses us. And guess what? Even though you don't want to talk to God about it, you might need to, you need to talk to him about it. And you need to clear it so you can get your eyes fixed back on him. And the great thing is, as you do that, you're invited and then you come back and your eyes are on him. Do you know, I think one of the small things that all of us could do, if we want to take our praise of him, if we want to experience some of the life-changing difference that praise and worship as the scriptures painted for us, one of the things we could do is literally just come 10 minutes earlier when we gather as a church to worship. To literally go, you know what, service starts at 10, I make it a point to be ready 10 minutes before because it's 10 of the best minutes of my week. As I sit, I check my kids in, they're over there, and I stop and I take a deep breath and I begin to fix my eyes on him. There's no point trying to worship God if your eyes aren't fixed on him and you're just going, yeah, I'm supposed to do this. But man, there's power when you say, I'm going to get my eyes fixed. I'm going to get my eyes onto him. Imagine how our worship services would be different if we all came in and we weren't just angry at Ryan from the parking lot. We were actually coming in like, this is what I'm here for. This is why. This is why I came. How different would our experience be? Sometimes we're thinking about the music and the band and who's singing what or how. Can I tell you something? These people on stage, they don't lead worship. They unify our voices. But the people who determine what happens in worship is the congregation of God's people. Imagine we walked away from Sundays not saying, you know, how was the worship? How was my worship? Did I come to fix my eyes on him? To barack before him. To shout, commending him. And here's why it can change the world. If we actually get to this kind of, you know, we're praising him as we see in the scriptures. We're living a, a psalms kind of praise and worship. Check out what happens in, um, in verse 4, 145. He says, one generation shall praise. And now here's our word shabak again. Let me hear you say shabak. One generation shall shout your works to another. Shall declare your mighty acts. Now check this out. When we worship, our eyes kind of get off of all the other messages we've been experiencing throughout our weeks, throughout our days, all the other junk that's been going on. They get on to God. We're bowing before him. Now as our eyes are transfixed on him, we're beginning to shout of who he is. To shout of what he's done. To shout that you know, the word of God is truth and it is above every circumstance and all his works. And you know what this says? You want to talk about changing the world? It literally changes generations. You know, we don't shout because it's like, hey, how excited can we just kind of hype ourselves up? You know, kind of just trying to hype ourselves up is never going to accomplish anything. 
but to fix one's eyes on God and to begin to shout the truth and joining the roar of believers changes generations. You imagine if the shouts in here, just as an example, were so loud in praise that like it wasn't a room full of people were like, you know, mumbling through some songs. And, and we don't do this. Like I walked in and this was, can I tell you, it lifts my spirit when I walk in those doors and the worship in here. So please don't take this as any kind of rebuke. I think I, I, what happens when we gather is so special. But I want you to imagine that God has more for us. And imagine there was a shout that was so loud, like it's just a roar, that like the kids over at Compass Kids are like, I can't hear you. They're too loud over there. <laughs> They're so loud, like, what do you say? I'm sorry, you know. Just, no, okay. I don't, you know what, this room is incredibly acoustically well designed. Probably no matter how loud we shout, that may not happen, okay. But imagine it did. What do you think those kids would think about the faith of this community of people? The next generation above them. Imagine, do you think they'd be like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, my parents, like, they say God's important. I don't know. Do you think that would happen? No. What? They can hear the roar of faith. Do you think they'd be like, I don't know. Do you think when you get older, it's just sort of like, you know, nobody really cares anymore. They just kind of have to do that. Or maybe they're just coming because they feel like they got to bring, you know. Do you, what do you think? No. Do you know what happens when you... Look around and you hear the roar of all these people. It's like it does something to you. It would change the way they think about faith. You'll never be able to kind of go to a younger generation. This, maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's a younger person. Maybe it's somebody who's younger in the faith or younger in years. And you're like, no, no, no. Like God should be first in your life. And then what does it say if you kind of think, oh, yeah. how great. Great our God. Yeah, yeah. No, he's so good. You should trust him. I'm telling you, you can trust. Oh, grace. You know, like. But what does it do when you, you just shout? No, no, no. We shout for the things that we believe. I put up a picture of West Coast. I'd have to say one thing and you shout. Imagine that shout. Imagine that roar. Imagine the difference it has on others. See, here's what I, I want you to begin to see from. Psalm 145 even today. Okay, when we think about praise, when we think about worship, and these psalms, they're more often than not, they are written to the gatherings of God's people. Now, one of the things I love, and, you know, we saw in Psalm 145, he, talks, he begins to talk about daily I will praise your name. Don't hear me wrong and think I'm saying it's okay to just come to church once a week. And if you just do that and you just, uh, you know, gather for worship once a week, that somehow that's a, no, no, no. But when you start there, it leads to a daily life of praise and worship. When you shout there, and you know one of the reasons I think it's so important, we shout when we come together and we praise and we lift our voices because we go through our weeks, all of us get shouted out a thousand times in a thousand ways of what should be important to us, of what vision of life should be most appealing, of if you only had this, then that. Or we get shouted to in painful circumstances that make us want to start to think, I don't know, maybe God's not good. Maybe he doesn't have my back. Maybe he doesn't love me. But when we come, and the world's just shouting at us. But imagine how much it changes things. And we go, no, no, no. I gather with fellow believers. 
I gather with the church. And we shout of who God is. We shout truth. We shout the word of God. We fix our eyes on him and suddenly we realize he is the name above all names. He is worthy of all praise, all shouts, all bowing. How great is our God. In fact, I want to invite the team to come back up. And as they do, we're going to shabak in just a moment. We're going to... We're going to lift our voices. And we're going to shout. We're going to barack. We're going to fix our eyes on the king. We're going to start to put some things to the side and say, Lord, fix my eyes on you. Show me the wonders of who you are. And as we do that, it actually can change. This is why it can change the world. We're going to keep unpacking this over the next. But it can change the world because what it will start to do is change your heart. And when it changes your heart, and when it changes your vision, it begins to change your world. And when you shout it, and when you begin to live that, it begins to change the world around you, the generations. And when, bit by bit, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God, he is enthroned, he is praised, it literally begins to change the world. Would you stand with me and what I want to pray before we begin to Shabbat. As we start this series, as we reflect on this, I just want to pray over our church because I think one of the things that, that can happen is, you know, it can be easy to hear something like this and just think, well, that's for a day or great, I thought that was good for a minute or maybe that works for someone else, but you know, these pictures are the word of God. You know, Psalm 117 isn't a suggestion. Praise the Lord, all you nations. It's not a nice idea. It's an invitation to Shabbat with all of creation for how great God is. It's literally he's created us for this. And I just want to pray, and I want to pray especially if you go, you know what? I want to pray for our church because I really believe there's something God wants to say and do in us. I mean, I, like I said, I, I love to gather with our church to worship. But I believe there's more. I believe there's more he wants to do. And I want to invite you just to bow with me for a moment. You can open your hands if you want to kind of just be part of this prayer. Just hold them out. We're just going to ask God to reveal more of himself to us. Give us eyes that can see him. We don't shabak because we're trying harder. We shabak because our eyes are on him. We don't barack because we just think we're supposed to, we, we begin to get our eyes fixed on it. We allow him to work in our spirit, to bring a new song of praise. Lord, in this moment, I just ask that you would indeed enlarge our vision, our vision of who you are. Lord, where there are times in our life that our circumstances feel bigger, Lord, enlarge our vision that you are above those things. That, Lord, our circumstances don't have the final word, but your kingdom reigns over all. Your name's above every name. Lord, I pray that in our midst and as we gather, your presence would release a greater sense of praise and worship in our midst. That, Lord, our eyes would be fixed on you. 
that, Lord, there would be something in our midst and in our hearts and in our spirit that is just a greater encounter of your love, your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your power, your kingdom that reigns over all. And so, Lord, even today, I pray you begin to work in us, move in us, make us a people who shabak, make us a people who barak. Lord, plant some fresh songs in our lives, some fresh stories of who you are and what you're doing. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Come on, let's, let's shabak to him today. Come on, you can lift up a shout. You can praise him.